Welcome to Changing Reels, a podcast that aims to change the conversation on diversity and representation in cinema one reel at a time. My name is Courtney Small. I write about film for several publications, including ThatShelf.com, where the show is hosted, and Cinema Access, to name a few. I'm also the co-host of the podcast Frameline. Today, I'm joined by film critic and podcaster Ryan McNeil. Ryan writes about film over at TheMatinee.ca and is the host of the long-running podcast, The Matinee Cast. Uh, listeners, you will also remember Ryan from episode 28 of this show, where we discuss Creed. Ryan, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I feel like a senior citizen sometimes when it comes to podcasting. When I tell people I've been doing it for as long as I have, people are like, oh, so you got into the beginning. I'm like, did I? <laughs> so I'm uh, I'm happy to still be asked on to things because that means I've you know, still got a little bit of credit. Well, I give you credit because you're, the Matt Night Cast is what, 230, 40 podcast episodes now? We we were into the early two forties. We were we were at the point where I was starting to think about what I was going to do for episode number two fifty before we took a, a slight divergent over to to talking about movies from the past. So yeah, we're two forty something. Our main film for today is the twenty twenty DC action comedy Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn, directed by Kathy Yan. After Splitting with the Joker, Harley Quinn decides it's time to reestablish herself in the criminal underworld. Unfortunately, Harley's made a whole lot of enemies along the way, a fact that becomes increasingly apparent when she is tasked with locating a valuable diamond that is in the possession of one young pickpocket named Cassandra Kane. Ryan, do you want to kick us off with a few of your thoughts on this film? Sure. I mean, I might start with the fact that, you know, when I when I remind myself that this came out the first week of February, that seems like it was like three years ago now. <laughs> you know, when, Very you're true. Ta- when you're talking in this intro about the fact that we're talking about a movie from this year, I, I had to remind myself, I was like, it's like, that seems like a different time, you know, when I could go out around people. I enjoy the heck out of this movie. I... Uh, I was, you know, I went to see it because it checks a few of my boxes. It checks my box as a, a comic book fan. It checks my box as a, a DC guy, you know, and, 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 and I don't really subscribe to DC versus Marvel fandom in terms of like going against each other. It's just, that's how I, I grew up on those stories. Um, even though Harley was, Harley's stories in the comics were well after I grew up. And it also checks the box that I ma- I've made it a concerted effort over the last few years to seek out support films made by uh, female directors. So, so Kathy the yen behind the camera had me basically had me at hello this is it's strange to say considering the fact that this film had mixed reviews and had a lower than average box office for for a superhero property but this is certainly it's one of my favorite comic book films and it's one of the better films to come out of warner's stable it seems a lower boil and a little bit messier than it actually is but there's a lot that's baked into this film in terms of the story that it's telling and how it's telling it and the design and the look and the touches of it that really make it um, something special so I've it's strange we're not even halfway through 2020 and I've actually seen this movie three times already and every time I watch it it rewards me with some other little detail that I didn't notice before. I agree with you on a, a lot of what you said. For me, uh, this film came in at a really, I guess, personal moment for me. So 2020 had started off already pretty rough because in February when this film was released about a few days after it was released I had lost a family member and then I had also lost a high school classmate they both died from weeks within each other so it was just a really rough time and I just kind of needed a a break so I went to see this film similar to you being a a fan of comic books and comic book movies and I was just blown away by this film like it provided the entertaining joy that I needed but it also offered a lot of things that I hadn't seen in comic book related films in, in several years 
we're not, I'm not going to get too much into the Marvel DC debate, although I do want to kick us off a bit talking about the DC extended universe. But sure. both two cinematic universes have kind of set the standard for what a comic book film should be. And I find that those standards are very rigid. They don't allow for a lot of creativity, whereas this film completely breaks that mold. And oh, yeah. I had seen Kathy Ann's previous film, Dead Pigs, and I was excited to see what she would do with this because Dead Pigs, I would say the story is a little more straightforward than Birds of Prey, but it still has a lot of the same flourishes. There's like a musical number. I, I compare Dead Pigs to Magnolia. Oh, okay. Okay. I, it's, it's crazy because, you know, like once I find out about any new, new to me filmmaker, because let's be honest, nine times out of 10, when I find out about a filmmaker, they usually have one or two films, even if they're just shorts under their belt. I usually like to go backwards, you know, and I'm the same way with like music too. You know, when I find out about a band, I like, I got to listen to like everything by, by the band. So yeah, when I, when I found out about Kathy Ann doing Birds of Prey and I, I started looking for her, I started looking for her previous work, but it's kind of hard to track down on streaming right now. So I'm, I'm happy that you saw that you saw her previous work and one that you're recommending it because that tells me that it definitely is something to chase down. And two, that you're telling me that if I like this, then I'm going to like the rest of her stuff. I think you'll definitely like Dead Pigs. It's another one of those films that plays by its own rules. Let's start with talking about the DC EU for, for a moment because I found that they've had problems. <laughs> let's, put, let's put it mildly. How do I phrase this nicely? <laughs> In their quest to fast track to get to Marvel level, they made a lot of mistakes that they could have avoided had they just done what Marvel originally did and slowly build your films by individual characters, kind of standalone films, opposed to having to make it this one big gigantic cash making entity that DC did. And also for me personally, and I know this is going to annoy a lot of people who are are fans of Batman v Superman and uh, Man of Steel. For me, Wonder Woman kind of broke that chain of unnecessarily dark films that were following a particular pattern. And then even this film that we're talking about spawned out of Suicide Squad, which is the film I I'd probably say I detest the most of the DC <laughs> films. As much as I loved Margot Robbie in it, there's just so much in that that uh, that annoys me. And Wonder Woman kind of broke the mold. And then, you know, I'd say Shazam was another one that brought a little bit of fun back into it. But I find it interesting that the, the female directors are the ones who are really providing the interesting films and i know a lot of people will will debate that but i know you're a big superman guy so and you said that this one is birds of praise one of your favorites i just want to know how you compare it considering with the direction that dceu has gone so far i keep scratching my head trying to figure out exactly what dc is is doing and i say this as somebody who wants to actually see them do better because i know they have good stories to pull from you know they've got like they've been around for 75 more than 75 years now they've got so many great stories to pick from that that they can that they can tell and that have all kinds of facets to them that still apply to a modern age and yet Every time it comes for them to either do something or not do something, they always seem to choose the wrong option. I've, I have long said that they started going without any kind of fear. When Marvel started their movies going, 
from 2008 onward. I'm talking about Marvel Studios, not the ones that they did it with Fox, you know, in the past, yeah. or certainly not the ones in like back in the 80s when they did like a really crappy Captain America. But from 2008 onward, they still always had the possibility of losing properties, right? Because of all these various deals that the comic book studio had done with the entertainment industry in terms of selling off these properties basically going bankrupt so if they didn't make these movies in a certain way they would they would lose characters so they had to do it right you know and they had to make money and they had to be really careful otherwise they would risk losing being able to make you know an incredible hulk movie or an iron man movie or whatever the whatever the way dc by comparison because warner owns dc and has outright the whole time like again since the 80s they can just do what they want to with these characters and if a movie doesn't work they'll just mothball it for 10 years or more and because there's no because they got going without any kind of fear of losing anything and they just basically, you know, they, they try it. And if it doesn't work, it's like, eh, oh, well, we'll do something else. And lack of fear and lack of vision at the top, because we have to give props to people like Kevin Feige and Joss Whedon and the Russo brothers for guiding the overall vision. DC hasn't had that. So their films have been really, really patchy. You get stuff that's really fun and really entertaining and tells a good story like Shazam that you mentioned and like Birds of Prey and I would uh, Wonder Woman 2 and I would even package to a strange extent I would even package Aquaman yeah I, I enjoyed that one Aquaman just as a concept is absurd so the fact that you can make anything out of that is, is props but then you know a couple things like DC lean DC has this weird tendency to lean on Batman really hard because they know audiences like him so when things aren't going well make another Batman movie or, you know, get Batman into your universe. They don't really know what to do with Superman because he's so beatific, you know, he's, he's their Captain America, but far more virtuous. And they seem to want to make everything so heavy and so gritty and so serious. And, you know, while there's some things about that I like, it just doesn't seem to work with where we are, time of place. I'm like Lucy with the football. I always want to believe, you know, when the new movie comes along, I always want to, all right, they've got some momentum going, everything's going to be okay. And sometimes I'm, sometimes I'm rewarded and I get to kick that football pretty far and other times I'm flat on my back. Completely agree with you in the fact that they rely too heavily on Batman. And I'm a Batman person. I loved him from a kid. You know, I still watch episodes and reruns of Batman, the animated series. It's just a part of my DNA. One of the things that I've read a lot about Birds of Prey in terms of people say, oh, how it was a disappointing film and it disappointed at the box office. And yes, domestically, I think it was like 400 and maybe 50,000 shy of its budget. But internationally, it still made over $200 million. And people also forget that it's one of the few R-rated comic book films in in recent years and the only one that was female-led. And I'm not even including the matrix is this i'm just talking like established properties you have the deadpools logan and i guess just before this came out you had joker yeah most r-rated comic book films are from a male perspective and in the case of deadpool they're somewhat juvenile you know even kingsman kingsman's another comic book one but there's a lot of juvenile aspects to to kingsman as well so i don't know i feel like this film got saddled with a lot of expectations when people should have realized like what it does it does really well and it doesn't fit the standard archetype 
No. I mean, part of that too, I think, is let's be honest here. There is a very vocal yet very minor fan culture out there that is, you know, made up of very angry white boys. And they have in their heads what Harley Quinn is supposed to be. And if you want to get an idea of that, drop yourself a Google of Harley Quinn fan art and look at the kind of personification of this woman that people design up. And I have nothing against it. Like fan art is wonderful. They're really talented artists. And if you, if that's what floats your boat, cool. But at the same time, it's just that it's, it's something designed by fans and it's basically just little doodles, right? It's, 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 it's work meant to stand on its own. It's not the way a character should be personified in a story, let alone in a movie. And when the early looks of this film started coming out in terms of like set photography and trailers and that kind of thing. And it was clear from the hop that Kathy Ann had a very different take on what Harley was going to look like. You know, the, the fanboys revolted. If Harley in this movie was in her classic black and red onesie, they would have gone for sure. And even if they had, even if she had to put her in the, uh, you know, daddy's little monster long sleeve tee and her booty shorts from Suicide Squad, they would have gone. But because in this movie, Harley is more covered up. She's not a sex pot. She's somebody who's working through some much more complicated things. That section of the movie going populist rejected it without even giving it a shot. And, you know, unfortunately money talks. So yeah, they, they kept their money. I'm, I'm glad they're, I'm glad they tried to prove their point, but the joke's on them because they missed out on a really fun movie with some really good action and a lot of cool shit. In many ways, they are essentially what the film is commenting about. Like one of the, the prevailing themes in this film is that men are unreliable. They, they, <laughs> yeah. they let you down. They're a lot of talk, but at the end of the day, they're cowards who have problems with, with strong women. You know, we see that the, the head villain, Black Mask, who takes pride in you know, being able to quote unquote cut people's faces off or at least order that, but then gets deeply hurt if there's a thought of a woman laughing at him. He's constantly calling, was a black canary my little bird? And he's very degrading yeah. to women constantly. And even Zass, to his own sick sidekick way, clearly wants to be the one beside the alpha. And he, he even feels threatened when women come between him and black mass. So there's this whole just running thread, you know, like obviously there's the Joker who we all know is he can't be trusted with anything, but even someone like doc, the restaurant owner that um, Harley lives above, he even sells her out for, for money. There's also the cop. Uh, there, there's Montoya's, you know, one-time partner who, you know, they crack a case together and he takes credit and he ends up, uh, you know, he ends up getting promoted while she's still working a desk at GCPD. Every step of the way, these women are constantly being put down and, and, and mistreated by men. It's funny, watching it again this time around, I was trying to think if there was even one decent guy in the film, and I couldn't think of one. And I was fine with that because all the female characters were, were really interesting and entertaining, but it was just a, a very funny and hard-hitting commentary. It's a story we need. It's a good story. It's not something that's trying to be ham-handed about it. You know, like that, that's the thing is as much as men are definitely criticized in this movie and rightfully so for the characters in the movie and just for the 
you know, the actions of men in this world, I'd never go so far as to call this a man-hating movie. You know, that that's that's the thing that guys just need to get past. It's, exactly. It's, you know, the empowerment and the betterment of one does not need to come at the at the detriment of another. It just wants you to, like you said, like look at the framing of this and see there's several men within this and they all suck for various reasons. And, you know, maybe you're one of them. Maybe you know one of them. Maybe you could be one of them. Just if this is in the back of your brain somewhere, you might have a chance of navigating your life, you know, with the women in your life, both personal, professional, communal, in a better way. When you look at someone like Harley Quinn, you know, the central protagonist, she is off kilter, to to put it mildly. But even in her drunken stupor, her quote unquote plans that aren't really plans, it just kind of dumb luck that happens. She's the first to remind you that she's got a PhD. Oh, yeah. And there's there's one of my one of my favorite scenes in the film is when she's in the supermarket with Cassandra. Some of the conversations that they have have nothing to do with villains, men, what have you. Like there's a she she has that great line where she's talking about that's why you, you should never get caught cheating on your taxes. Like, you know, there's just there's a lot of fascinating layers to this character. She's a, a woman that can get energized by inhaling a whole bunch of coke, but then she's also somewhat of a hopeless romantic the next. Like she's she's got so many different layers to her and I think as a narrator of the film, it makes the whole story a little more enjoyable because as a person who is kind of schizophrenic at times the narration feels like that as well you know she'll tell you something oh wait i forgot to tell you about this let yeah, me yeah. let me slow down and talk about this great sandwich because man i really wanted that sandwich you know so <laughs> there's a lot of interesting facets to her and i i'm not usually a fan of making villains the the lead because often they're just not given that much to do but in this case there's so much about her that you can make several films and they would still all be unique and, and interesting yeah I, that's what i love like c- kind of going back to the origins of harley quinn and um you know where she first popped up like she, she first came up it was a batman the animated series first showed up yep she she started in that series and then they eventually brought her into the comic books because she became a instant fan favorite oh yeah you can tell like it's it's a it's a neat compliment to their most popular villain it's a, a character that lends itself to everything from cosplay to fan art to whatever story but it was you know it was something that started off just as kind of a not fully formed idea that in the time since then 93 was when she first showed up so you know basically 30 years now, has become much more fleshed out, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. And, ha- you know, the just the kernel of of a detail that she is a PhD gives you so many more places to go with her as a character as opposed to a character like Joker who is just basically chaos in a bottle you know and I loved that this movie really leaned on the fact that Harley is you know Harley's damaged right let's let's, let us not let us not paint try to paint over that but Harley's not nuts you know Harley is a smart woman and to completely tamp that down I think denies the character and that's I I think one of the best things that Kathy Ann did in this movie and Christina Hodson who wrote the story is to make sure that Harley's not completely crazy. Harley is a person who can articulate her thoughts and her thoughts are really damn good. She has experienced so much and as you said she she's damaged that she compartmentalizes a lot of things in her life. And there's certain people that just don't make the cut. So when she announces that you know, in her own way that she's free from the Joker and everyone realizes it's now open season on Harley Quinn, you get a lot of fun moments where minor individuals show up and you get like a brief Harley Quinn version of their, I guess, baseball stats. 
you know, the right. name and what grievance there are. And there's some people that she just has no idea who there are. And there's that one dude that I guess she, she calls clown face because he has <laughs> clown face tattoo. She, you know, he says that you, you did this to me. She has to think back. And then she's remembering that time when the Joker was doing it to the guy and she was laughing. She goes, but it was a Joker. And he said, well, you were the one that dared him to do it. She goes, I dare people to do a lot of things, right? Like she just got <laughs> a, a whole repertoire of bad deeds in in her head. So, you know, you go from streaming conscious there's moments where she's like you know sorry kid i i don't want to double cross you but i've I've run out of options and then there's other times where it's just hey there's a woman that looks like frida kahlo trying to kill me i don't know who she is but that's just my dig it adds such a nice energy to this film it it made me think of tank girl yeah there's very much that kind of energy in this movie yeah just another one of those really unique kind of comic book characters that is almost ahead of its time feel like this film is also so ahead of its time in terms of the direction that it opens up for for comic book films. You know, you mentioned the way that Harley, you know, in, in the kind of basically courts people trying to take her down. And it could be anything from the fact that she's no longer with the Joker to the fact, let's be honest, that they think picking on a woman's not going to be that hard. That I think that is actually what makes her such an interesting character is she's basically a lightning rod for shitty situations, both of her own doing and for other people trying to nut up and see if they can take a swing at this basically clown princess of crime and watching her work it out both mentally and physically is a pure bloody joy because she doesn't often get her ass handed to her and once in a while she'll be on the short end of the stick but it's everything from i can take him to realizing that she's surrounded by guns and she just needs to wave a white flag and say all right i'm gonna talk to the boss you know like it's it's just so many stories you can tell with this woman. The the white flag part I liked as well because one of the things that Kathy Ann does well in this film is she deconstructs comic book films while still making a comic book film that feels like it's a, a living comic book which is a it's a very tough thing to do exactly and you know they, that that sequence of diamonds are a girl's best friend was they, they had a glimmer of it in the trailer and i love that it's it just gives you enough you know like they don't break out into a full song they, they do leave you wanting more because you've got you know, you've got Ewan McGregor doing his dancing thing and you've got her singing and dancing. And it's also gloriously designed with that classic gentleman prefer blonde staging. But uh, it's like, no, we, we got stuff to do. We're going to snap you back out of that because lest we forget, we're in Harley's head here. And that is a very dangerous place. It works well with the introduction of the the other women that will make up the, the big team because outside of, you know, Harley's version of their backstories, you don't really get much of an origin story. I'd say Huntress is the only one where you get a full this is how she became huntress they never tell us how black canary has her powers she just has them yeah she's just got a, a powerful voice and nay is just a, a regular person in, in many ways i guess black canary is the only one that really has quote-unquote super powers i mean i think that's a good thing too because you know whether it whatever studio it happens to be in whatever comic book they heard they're starting to tell i feel like audiences are getting a little bit weary of origin stories you can often tell you know what the accident was or the snap to moment was just in a flashback and and the way they do that like in this movie with huntress is it, it's it's, it's pretty much what you need. You don't really need to necessarily spend two hours on the accident and then the sacrifice and then the rise. It's like, okay, sometimes we can just say, hey, this shit happened to me and I'm still working on how it works. I, I do enjoy that Birds of Prey 
leaves a lot of that out and just drops us into a situation. Even when they unite, it's more out of, we have no other choice right now. We're outnumbered. The only way that we can get maybe a 50-50 shot is if we team up. This leads to probably one of my favorite set pieces in most recent comic book films when they have the great fight in a funhouse. And just from a visual standpoint, and you alluded to it with the Diamonds Are Our Girl's Best Friend number, this film is eye candy for me. Like, there's so much going on visually that I absolutely love. And one of the things was the funhouse because it reminds me a lot of Batman the Animated Series or even just comic books in general whenever batman used to face a joker it was always in some elaborate place and whenever they were in like a fun house or house of mirrors or whatnot it added something and to actually see that manifest on screen the way it does like when your lead character is essentially like a walking fun house in her in her head yeah just just a brilliant idea that i think a lot of people didn't give enough credit to this movie is colorful in the best ways i i feel as though when dc went and made those two joel schumacher batmans and everybody rejected them they thought okay we gotta we gotta dial this back we gotta go gritty we gotta go dark we gotta desaturate and they got lost in what makes a comic book visual actually snap now you know yeah there's all kinds of comic books throughout history that did really dial things down and get muted color palettes and whatever. You know, some Batman comics even just went and did black and white versions of their stories. But by and large, comic books are colorful. They're bright. They snap. They look like, you know, over on the Marvel side of things, they look more like Guardians of the Galaxy than they do the dark muted blue gray brown palette that Christopher Nolan went out and did. So you already have that in Birds of Prey with Harley and her her yellows and her pinks and you know certainly her blue and red that she usually rocks and to yeah to drop that at the end into this gorgeous funhouse that's all swirls and mirrors and weird obstacles that's all this beautiful you know reds and greens and purples it's you know it's what you want to see you want to basically just wrap yourself in a comic book for two hours i don't want to necessarily go see something that's gritty and dark and dour so it's yeah it's an it's an incredible set piece and even the, the choreography within that space is well done. The image of Huntress going down this slide while stabbing a guy who she's using as a bobsled is just, just a wonderful idea. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of fun moments. It's a fantastic idea. And it actually gets even better because Kathy Yan tweeted this a month or two ago. Dear listener, when you rewatch Birds of Prey, as we obviously both hope you do, watch that scene when Huntress is going down the slide and you'll notice that the cameraman actually slides under her. And, and when you wonder how that happened, they did it. They, they practically st- sent the camera down, sent it past her until the point where she was coming towards the camera on the villain, stabbing him. And just before it cuts away, you'll notice that she catches up. And that's because she smacked headlong into the camera. Once you see that, you won't unsee that. And it's little practical things of how they did it. You know, it's, it's like, yeah, you can digitally stage these stunts and whatever. Or you can strap a camera to your cameraman and send him down the slide. You know, it's that's that's wonderful film. I think back now to when she goes into the the police station, Gotham PD, which clearly they're asleep at the wheel at the office because she walks in and just causes havoc. She has this gun that shoots beanbags and glitter bombs. 
bombs and red and blue smoke bullets. Like, it's just a wonderful moment and it brings a smile to my face every single time. It does. And I mean, you know, in, in a lot of in a lot of action films these days, there's there's still, for reasons I don't understand, this weird desire to quick cut, to make things look faster than they are, to make them look more intense than they are. Yeah. You know, whereas back in the days of, you know, Kung Fu movies and, and you know, Bruce Lee movies and even modern movies like The Raid, a camera is content to just lock itself off and show you how badass the stunt people are and and you know like let's let's be honest a movie that's got a budget like birds of prey they're gonna get in some pretty expensive stunt people let them do their shit you know back off and let us watch these people fight each other and that's what this movie does a lot of the times it just hangs back and it lets its actors and its stunt people turn cartwheels and you know do these great spinning kicks and low swivel kicks and it's so much more joyous to see than a really quick cutting hand to hand that may or may not have actually happened you know yeah and you believe that they are fighting to their capabilities at the very end of the film Huntress says to Black Canary where she congratulates her on being able to kick in such tight pants yeah yeah you know she she saves harley quinn from what we could assume was being um, molested and by just kicking the crap out of these two guys even when they do stunts like the the roller skate slingshot <laughs> yeah like just the idea of harley quinn chasing down this car in roller skates if you're gonna do a harley quinn film this is what i i want to see and i mean even that they address the absurdity of that because when harley first shows up on roller skates when they're about to leave that fun house canary looks at kane and she says to her when did she have time to do a shoe change? And then she, they just, Kane just, just just shrugs. They they admit that it's a, it's an absolutely absurd detail, but they just roll with it. That's kind of what I like about getting to the end of this movie and the birds not having a deep cache of weapons. Like they, they you know, paint it as Harley got ripped off. Like she had a stockpile of guns, but by the time she gets to her little ta-da moment, the guns are gone. So they've really just got this one crate to pick from. And one of the little detail, this is one of those things I love. I don't know if it was really deliberate or if I'm just projecting, but if you look at the beginning of the movie, and certainly if you go through the comics, they, one of the things of Harley is that she is bisexual. And it's, you got to really watch for it quick at the beginning of the movie, otherwise you'll miss it. And one of the things I kind of love of how they nod to that is when Harley is swinging either her mallet or her bat, she can actually swing pretty well from both the left and the right. So I'm like, ah, she's a switch hitter. That's, I'm like, that, that's a good touch. Oh, I didn't even pick that up. I was thinking back to the, the cartoon opening where she was just giving the quick bio for anyone who didn't know. And she said that she had her heart broken several times. And I was trying to think of if they threw a, a female character in that one. There's one. There, there, it's, I think it's when she, gets, when she gets to university, there's a woman. It's, it's one of those neat little touches of here's a character who's bisexual who can swing from both sides. Now I have to rewatch that just to, to grab that one. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, one thing I want to ask you about, for me, I guess it was probably the darkest moment in this film, was the, and we had mentioned it briefly before, the scene at the club where patron at the club, Erica, is laughing at some other joke. And Roman decides to make an example of her, to humiliate her, asking her to dance on stage, and then gets one of her male companions to rip her dress, to really humiliate her. And I think for me, that was the part where the film got at its darkest moment, even though there's allusions to rape and other things happening before. But just, it, it really hit home for me just how vile men are in this world and how the women, even when they're not associated with these people directly, still end up being victimized. 
by the male ego. So I just want to know what you thought of what of that scene. Well, that scene is an interesting case. There's actually been quite a bit of consideration of that, that scene as the case for what happens when you get a woman behind the camera of a typically male-dominated genre. This this scene, like that is a vile moment where a woman is made a spectacle of and, you know, emotionally assaulted, if not necessarily physically assaulted. But if you watch the way it's handled, first of all, it's not meant to titillate. We are meant to feel deeply, deeply uncomfortable in that moment and how how truly far Roman has lost the plot. Even though he seems like he's a little bit more stable than somebody like the Joker, that's still a pretty low bar. Um, No, this is a guy who's nuts and he will do something like this without giving it a second thought. If you watch the way that this movie and Kathy Yan portrays that moment, we are basically meant to feel like we should be looking away. And if you watch the way the camera cuts to Dinah Lance and to to Zaz, they're always trying to avert their eyes. This movie wants us to avert our eyes and to yeah. not leer at this woman. And, and, and even in what we do see, you know, the woman is generally covered up. Like you can see a bit of her bra, but a lesser movie, you know, done by, uh, done by a dude and done by some of the dudes who have done some of these movies would probably leer at that woman a little bit longer. And that is one of those differences in terms of the approach and the filmmaking technique of a woman behind the camera as opposed to a dude behind the camera. One of your previous guests, our friend Petula Neal, one time told it to me of, it's the difference between Wonder Woman and Justice League. If you look at where the camera tends to be in terms of the eyeline at Diana in Wonder Woman versus where the camera tends to be in the eyeline for... Justice League, it shows her off in a different way when there's a guy behind the lens. Yeah, that's true. I appreciate that it's there and I appreciate of how it makes us feel because, you know, we shouldn't be leering at this stuff. And in just every moment where the birds are in peril, you know, we're always feeling uncomfortable. We're never watching them be overly sexualized, even though, you know, these are these are beautiful women and they're, you know, they're in costumes that show that off, but it doesn't show it off in a way that feels like it's there to make it salacious what unfortunately what should be the norm but really in in properties like this is not and it's actually refreshing to see even when it's uncomfortable to endure yeah and have you watched the adult swim cartoon I started. I got through the first season. I think that's another one of these personifications of Harley that's on the right side of the line. They, you know, they get, it, that gets a little bumpy sometimes too. But generally speaking, I think that that's another one of these stories that really wants to, to do right by Harleen Quinzel. Another one is if people are looking for a really, really good one-off comic, there's a DC book from last year called Harleen. And it's written by... Um, uh, a guy whose name I can I always bungle, so I'm going to really try to get it right. He's known for Sunstone, and I believe he's known for Rat Queens. Um, his name is uh, Stepan Sejic, or Sejic, S-E-J-I-C. That book, along with having incredible art in it, is a long, hard look at Harleen Quinzel as, you know, basically from the moment she graduates until the time that she takes that dive into the fat of toxic chemicals um, and how she got suckered into, you know, the Joker's being one more of the Joker's pieces of damage. And it really explores how a sm- how smart women go for shitty men. Um, it's, it, you know, it, like everything else, it's got its flaws, but it's a really, really good story along with the Adult Swim ca- uh, cartoon. Oh, I'll definitely check that 
book because I've, I've watched the Adult Swim cartoon and I enjoy it. It's not every episode works, but it is fun. But this is, yeah, I'll definitely check this book out. Back to the Adult Swim cartoon. I laugh out loud, ju- like just about once an episode. I like that, kind of like Birds of Prey, they're not going for the obvious characters. I, I mean, I, I think that's, you know, going back to what we we're talking about off the top of the show in terms of DC is DC, they've got so many characters, so, so many characters. And they've barely scratched the surface in terms of which ones they want to use i'm like you said i am a superman guy i would love more superman movies but i'd certainly also love to see a movie about like you know mr miracle or something like that you know you've got all you've got all this wealth of characters i'm happy that you know here was a here was a gotham story that one didn't mention didn't mention the batman at all besides a a vocal nod and was absent the joker aside from like one shot of the back of his head and him being verbally present if not physically present because maybe now they'll start to go a little deeper down the line and get some of these characters who they have been reluctant to use they do the same thing with the cartoon you know harley's gang is this weird hodgepodge of villains like clayface is one of her guys and they they make the running gag that that poison ivy is attracted to kite man so (laughs) it's like those kinds of things i like about the cartoon I'm glad that Harley Quinn got a film and I'm glad that it was Kathy Ann who brought it to the big screen because if you think of how long Black Widow has been languishing in the Marvel universe and it's only now in 2020 that she gets her shot. You think of Guardians of the Galaxy, who, again, you know, one of my favorite Marvel films, probably top five in terms of the Marvel films. They came out, no one outside of like comic book fans really knew who Guardians of the Galaxy were, but they just dominated mainstream like i feel like the comic books where people don't really have any real attachment to in terms of mainstream audiences not just not hardcore things those are the are the best ones to release right now because there's where you're you're allowed the most creative freedom as you said you're a superman guy you've seen several superman films both live action and animated there's only a, a handful of ways that you can tell that tale and make it interesting harley quinn a lot of people didn't know who harley quinn was before suicide squad and you know there's countless directions that you can take that character moving forward and you know then yeah expand it out and don't always go back to joker and don't always figure out that the only thing you can do with superman that's interesting is to kill him because you've got 80 years worth of stories to draw from i promise you you can find one yeah i completely agree ryan where can listeners find you well before we get into that um i just want to kind of make a quick mention of some by the time this episode goes up it may be old news but i don't want it to fall into old news the day after my birthday on june 2nd of this year our host here Courtney Small posted a really thoughtful introspective valuable piece of writing on that shelf titled allyship is more than acknowledging privilege my good man you have outdone yourself in terms of your writing you and I go back a decade now and I've been reading your stuff all over the place this is some of your very very best work and it's quite obvious that it came from a very personal and very affected place and it's something that i think everybody should read if they haven't already and i know that it seems strange to pimp your own work on your own show but i'm doing it for you because it's a really valuable look at how white people like myself have sometimes failed sometimes not done enough sometimes not thought enough of the people of color in our lives and and even right down to how we approach the artwork that we approach i can say with a clear conscience that I've tried. And I can also say with uh, absolute certainty that I can try harder. And you ask some 
you know, along with bringing up some stuff, some really shitty things that uh, people have said and done, you also bring up some really interesting small changes that people can make in their life in terms of, are they a participant? Do they seek things out? How do you parent? How do you approach the the people in your life? And um, if people have not read, Corey has written already, I, uh, I got to tell people, please read it because it is valuable, valuable, valuable writing, really powerful writing and really good writing. So I, I wanted to, to make sure I mentioned that. As far as my work, which is uh, not nearly as, as, as profound, my, my work these days is mostly audio. I do want to get back to writing, but it's been a really hard headspace to, to put words to screen. But people can find me at the matinee.ca. Currently, we are doing the Winchester Chronicles, where we explore films, the best films from the past decade that we didn't get a chance to do on the, the matinee cast proper. And I am hoping to have uh, Courtney on before it's all said and done. And and then sometime before the end of the year, the full matinee cast where we discuss new releases will get back up and running and people can find those both, the Winchester Chronicles and the matinee cast because it's all the same feed in the normal places, Spotify, Apple, uh, Google Play, wherever better podcasts are hosted, you can find me. Listeners definitely give both of those shows a listen and I will put a link to article that Ryan had mentioned that I wrote into the show notes and listeners you can contact me on Twitter at small mind or you can reach the show on Twitter at changing reels AC thank you for listening always remember that you can change the conversation on diversity and representation in cinema one reel at a time